0: Global controls will
1: have to be imposed, and and, and a world governing body will be created to enforce them. Welcome to Tinfoil Hat. We go
2: deep, homeboy. (laughs) Eric, open your mind. Drink from the fountain of knowledge. There's lizard people everywhere. That's some interdimensional money wake up aaron this is only the beginning Dude, you just blew my mind Tim yeah Wolf. welcome to another episode of Tim Fall hat man we are on fire everything is going great this last episode was insanity uh i hope you guys enjoyed that we have another great one coming up real quick and then If everything works out, and sometimes it does, uh, we got a third episode coming out this week. We'll be with uh, Rapper R.A., The Rugged Man, and we'll be talking uh,
0: Agent Orange.
2: Agent Orange, yes. Uh, You know who I am. You know what I'm here to do. I'm here to rock hard with my good friend, XG, and the place to be. This one's for the children, okay? A lot of amazing things going on. This show wouldn't be possible without our good friends at BetDSI. BetDSI for all your bet needs, right? We're, go- we're getting into the Zion Williamson Madness. That's right. Duke the number one thing I can't believe I'm rooting for Duke I hate Duke so much I hate everything about them but I love Zion Williams you go bet on the uh, bet on the uh, NCAA tournament UFC is on fire I was wrong about ESPN and UFC they're killing it right now it's wonderful we got uh, ESPN, UFC, baseball starting up you got AF AAF Football, you got the NBA, man. It's a wonderful time to bet, and we are working on our conspiracy bets. That's right, conspiracy bets. Will Hillary get indicted and stuff like that? We are working on it. It's going to be great. So go to BetDSI.com, use the promo code uh, HAT100, And you will get, uh, they will match your donation up to $500. So if you put in 50 bucks, you'll get 100 total. All right? So we want to thank our good friends at BetDSI for helping support the show. Because big things are coming. Big things are coming. And, of course, our good friends at CavemanCoffee.com. CavemanCoffee.com. Go to CavemanCoffee. Use the promo code TINFALLHAT. And you will get uh, coffees, teas, That looks like some kind of shaving cream right there. What is that thing? They got a bandanas. Bandanas? What's that thing a little bit down a little farther?
0: Which one is it?
2: Right there. It looks like shaving cream right there. Yeah. Uh, What is that thing?
0: That's MCT oil. That's coconut oil.
2: I love that shit. They're working on weed, coffee. It's all come together, dude. It's a wonderful time to be alive and uh, support support independent agencies, support independent groups, support Caveman Coffee. They're ran by just y- these young Christian warriors who are out there <laughs> rocking, okay, and to use the promo code tinfoil Hat, and you will get 15% off your purchase. That's great. Support our friends. I love Tate Fletcher. He's a good friend of mine. Uh, we have t-shirts for sale, new t-shirts coming out. We're very excited about that, uh, but our website's down, but... We're coming to a uh we're coming to a city near you. You know we are. That's right. What do we got coming up? Uh this will come out on um, right. Wednesday. So uh, Comedy Chaos. We have Comedy Chaos next Tuesday, okay? And then we have we're at our good we're doing the Waking Arizona tour. Eddie Bravo, myself, XG and the place to be, we will be Thursday, March 28th. We'll be at the House of Comedy in Arizona. Okay, we'll be doing a show there for our good friends. We love that club. It's one of my favorite clubs to play. And I'm excited they're going to have us out. And then the following night, we are in Tucson at the191tool.com. You can grab tickets to that. We're coming to Tucson. We're waking up Kel- We're waking up Arizona, dude. Uh, the following week, I am in... I'm at Rooster Teeth Feathers, Feathers, Feathers in Sunnyvale, California. Here's what we're doing. Thursday night, Wake and Bake It. That's right. Come out. You smoke weed. Out. We're going to smoke weed in the parking lot. We're going to hang out. Everyone's going to get baked, okay? The next two nights is just stand-up comedy. Come watch me shred, all right? Shred. And then the Sunday night is Q&A with Sam. That's right. A whole show in which you can ask me anything you want. It is i I'll be doing some stand-up, and I'll be answering your questions All these dates are available at samtriplee.com. So go check them out. We have a big show coming. April 8th and 9th, something big is about to happen. We're not disclosing it, but trust me, it is going to be seismic. What is about to happen is going to change the game. As as we get closer, I'm going to announce it. Because I just don't want to discuss it because there's a lot of time between here and then. And I don't want dark forces, these eagle motherfuckers, to come fuck up our serpent game. All right? So just stay close. Just know something big's coming April 8th and 9th. It's already been confirmed. We're not going to tell you because you lizard people aren't going to change the game, homeboy. Bam. All right. Today's episode I am super (laughs) excited about. Man, I was watch I was reading a little bit about this, and then I was there's a movie kind of that follows it. And I was like, "Holy shit, man!" Uh, this guy has written a wonderful book. He's about to here tell us about, uh, and I'm very excited. i please welcome uh, John Potash, everybody. John Potash, how are you, John?
1: Good. Thanks for having me on, Sam.
2: John, what's the name of your book? One more time. I'm sorry about this. I was. I'm. Been... No
1: worries. Yeah, it's a really long title just to beat the censors to tell people what it's about. But it's Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA's murderous targeting of SDS, Panthers, Hendrix, Lenin, Cobain, Tupac, and other activists. Dude. And the film is, is, yeah, what you show on the screen, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, the CIA War on Musicians and Activists, which is uh, streaming now on Amazon Prime.
2: It is a wonderful movie. It is a wonderful book. And it, I- is, it is mind-blowing what I've learned the little bit I had, I, you know, like I did as much research as, as I could coming up and the little I saw absolutely blew my skull, blew my skull. It's what you're saying is so deep and dark, uh, but totally makes sense. It's insane. So basically, we're going to get into about how our intelligence agencies and basically our educational system, our entertainment system, when I say education, I mean the, you know, the elite, elite schools, basically are all the results of the power elites using the drug trade. And, and it's insanity. Uh, how did you get into this topic, John?
1: Well, I started work in uh, 1989 as an addictions counselor and just counseling so many people from so many different uh, walks of life they gave me so much inside information over the last three decades. And so, you know, I, of course, advanced my uh, counseling degrees, but still kept that, you know, addiction's expertise. So I kept working with lots of addicts on all levels. And at the same time, I was doing research and, you know, social activism on the side. And so that's how I started just researching more and more about what was going on with the drug world, with uh, the CIA's project, MKUltra, et cetera.
2: Oh my god, it's amazing. So let's start from the beginning, man. This all stems basically from the hi- the history of opium and the opium trade. Okay, tell us a little bit about that.
1: So, as you mentioned about Ivy League schools, the the opium trade started with the British East India Company. And so they were uh, tra- you know, they were shipping loads of opium from the uh, India area. You know, That's why they're called British East India Company. But they were, they were uh, selling it to loads of Chinese, and they kept pushing it on the Chinese. And so the Chinese emperor was really upset about his populace getting addicted to opium in such a huge way that he, his army was, like, feckless because they just didn't uh, – there were so many addicted to, to the drug. So he's, he outlawed opium in his country, and the British proceeded to wage two wars, you know, to uh, open up China to opium and force them to accept their opium. Now, that was most, uh, you know, in large part, it was actually in the south uh, western part of China around the Golden Triangle, the best poppy fields, you know, best place to produce poppy fields and uh, opium and heroin, and that happens to be right near Vietnam, which I'll get to later. But a lot of those American families are involved with the British families in that opium trading were the Russells, the Pierponts, as in John Pierpont Morgan, the Cabots who start who started a lot of the buildings in Harvard, the Russells started the top uh, you know, basically funded Yale start. We're
2: gonna get into then, all that. Hold on, hold on. I just yeah. wanna get we're gonna get into all of that. So basically what you're telling me is that the opium trade basically came from these British Companies with American influences Wanting to basically Corner the drug trade And basically just Ravage this country Where have we heard this before later on in the future around now what's going on in afghanistan why are we in afghanistan oh the fucking poppy fields oh do we have u.s troops guarding poppy fields oh yeah has production poppy in the world gone up 70 percent has the fucking pop- has the fucking heroin epidemic in america gone up 70 percent oh yeah so what the british did to the chinese right now American companies, uh, pharmaceutical companies, and the CIA is doing to the U.S. population right now. This seems like a playbook yes. that's being used again.
1: Yes. And so these are, you know, drug wars, basically. They're, they're just like the opium wars against China, it appears. You know, they're wars for the poppy fields, first of Vietnam and then of Afghanistan, which lie on opposite ends of the same mountain range, Himalayan mountain range. And so, in the middle of that range, it was actually like or nearby towards the end of it is is India, where they were first getting you know a lot of these uh, you know poppy fields and a lot of the poppy and opium and heroin and all that. And so they ravaged India at first before you know uh, waging the war with China, and then of course we come to today with the wars for the poppy fields you know in Vietnam, you know, and then Afghanistan. And so, yeah, that's, you know, basically I showed that a lot of these wars, including the wars even in, in Central and South America, were in there, it's over coca fields and cocaine. And so a lot of these wars are, wars are for resources. And some of them, of course, are wars for oil. But some of them are for, a lot of them actually are for cocaine fields and uh, poppy fields that produce opium and heroin.
2: Now, these elite schools, I mean, these elite powers, they used... Basically, the drug money to almost condense their power in the United States and almost set up this kind of power structure that we see running today. They use all this money to buy all the media, control all the media. And then what I just found out and you just blow my mind uh, that that they basically use this drug money to establish these elite school brands such as Yale and Harvard and use the drug money to basically allow this elite class to thrive, where these people would join these groups like Skull and Crossbones. And when they would graduate, they would be given what the equivalent of today is $200,000 when they graduate. Right.
1: Right. So each of the schools, I mean, the Lowe's were, were opium shippers with the British East India Company. The Cabot's, as I said, at Harvard. The Lowe's, uh, opened up Columbia, started Columbia University. And, you know, Cabot's Harvard, Russell's, uh, Skull and Bones in Yale, it started Yale University and then stole, started the secret society at Yale, like you said, and gave. And so each of them, each of the secret, uh, schools had secret societies. With Harvard, it was the Porcelain Club. And they gave each of the members that graduated, right, huge amounts of money to get them started, you know, an uneven playing field with the rest of the world. And so the Rockefellers graduated from Yale and went were part of Skull and Bones. As I said, John Pierpont Morgan, the Pierponts were intermarried with the Russells and uh, started, you know, got these huge starts with a lot of money coming out of Skull and Bones, and you know, of course their family had so much money in the, in, in the first place. And so then you know it leads up to today with John Pierpont Morgan, the J.P. Morgan family having the largest bank in the world, and the Rockefellers had started Chase Bank, and they merged to you know form J.P. Morgan Chase. So they have the largest banks in the world. They, they have a hugest, the largest control over the Ivy League schools that are considered the most prestigious in the world. And that's some of the way. And, of course, they did buy up um, a huge you know, majority of the media in uh, about 1917, and that's in the congressional records. That J.P. Morgan interests and the Rockefeller interests bought up as many uh, magazines and newspapers as they could to control the you know, way the public thought. And then you've got uh, later of the next decades, you have people like um, Ben Bagdikian, former dean of the University of California, Berkeley School of Journalism, saying that he stumbled upon the fact that the uh, the top newspapers and magazines were were um, interlo- they had chair boards, uh, sorry, chairman of the boards that were interlocked with the top multinational yeah, corporations. Yeah, they
2: had shadow groups,
1: banks. right? right like the banks, military contractors, the, the pharmaceutical companies and all that yeah
2: okay what I want to get into I heard a name I've never heard of which is the Russells now I don't want to go I want to backtrack a little bit we have some time the Russells who are the Russells and how do they fit into this because I've heard all these other people talking about Rockefellers, the uh, the Morgans but I've never heard of the Russells who are the Russells?
1: Well, they were just the top uh, American family involved in opium shipping with the oh, British. Oh, my
2: God, and, dude.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And they started, they were, they were you can look in the records of, the Yale, of Yale University, you can find that they started Yale University, <laughs> the top founders of Yale University.
2: So Yale
1: and was basically. Trust, the Russell Trust, you know, funded the Skull and Bones members, you know, when they graduated.
2: So Yale was started with, with basically drug money.
1: Opium money, yeah, as well, as was Columbia, as was Harvard, as was Princeton with the Greens. They oh. all were, you know, most of them were, most of them were. Oh and this my is documented God. by James Bradley, you know, New York Times best-selling author of, um, uh, what is it called, Band of <laughs> Brothers, um, you know, and so he, uh, he came out with a book called Imperial Cruise, which found all this out. And, uh, you know, he, and he was already New York Times, you know, New York a times best-selling author and we came out with this imperial cruise it was so radical that they still um covered it but they didn't cover it as much as his, you know clint eastwood produced movie you know band of brothers and and uh flags of our fathers was another uh you know one that was made actually that, that one was made to the clint eastwood movie flags of our fathers but um yeah he came across this and came out with this information in the last uh, about 10 years yeah
2: I cannot believe this. This is mind blowing to me. Like when you just think the devastation of the drug war, and now you realize, like, this is just how they, how they basically have funded everything, was through po- poppy fields,
0: and then you, and they still are. They still they are. still are.
2: And then you sit there and you go, wow. And then you add fractional reserve banking from the Rothschilds, where they basically create money out of nowhere, and you realize, like, this is such next level diabolical shit like using get us all hooked on drugs do that then even the good people just go to the bank they basically give us fake money back and this way they can bribe everybody with it and then when they they pull the notes and they buy up everything with all the money they made off the drugs oh my god dude that is
1: insane then you have to get into how they popularize these drugs because who would who would naturally shoot up you know put a, a needle in their arm you know, People wouldn't normally do that, so you have to find out how they popularize these drugs. And that's where the CIA's Project MKUltra came in, start which was started in 1953. Now, a lot of these top families, uh, according to Francis Stoner Saunders in her book, the, Culture, the Cultural Cold War, and Victor Marchetti, the top CIA whistleblower in his book, The CIA and the Cult of Intelligence... Uh, they basically found that these top wealthiest families started the CIA in 1947 and, with the National Security Act of 1947, made themselves above the law, basically. Now, six years later, they started Project MKUltra, which was, if you look at the documents, say it's the use of drugs as unconventional uh, weapons. Okay? Uh, hold on, hold on. Run- I want
2: Hold that point. Remember that because I need to hear about that. So basically what you're talking about is after the fall of World War II, we all know, and I you mentioned a little bit in the movie, that uh, the U.S. government, the power lead structures, the people who are funding Hitler. I mean, the banks were funding Hitler. Everybody needs to understand that. And another episode down the line, we're going to talk about was Hitler a Rothschild? There's good evidence of that. You know this kicking out Rothschild banks that's all big oh ooh, look at what I'm doing something so the so these banks who funded the Nazis that they pull the money at the end the Nazi regime collapses and then they do an expansion draft which we talked many times before where they draft their favorite Nazis they bring them over and then now we start, they help form what we know as today as the CIA right so and this is again funded through the help of opium money
1: yeah well the families that made huge huge profits at first from opium money and then of course expanded to railroads and banks and steel and oil and all that you know of course Rockefellers were standard oil but So, yeah, they they start the uh, CIA and then start Project MK Ultra in 1953, and they proceed to test uh, dozens, about two or three dozen different drugs on soldiers. At least a thousand, you know, at least a thousand Edgewood Arsenal soldiers here in Maryland were tested with these different drugs and came out with studies on them. So they knew what all these different drugs did. And uh, they proceeded to actually use uh, one of the drugs they used the most, which might surprise people, is LSD. Um, and some of the documents came out about LSD, and they used that in a huge way against the anti-war movement. And they did that by they had a uh, fund called the Human Ecology Fund, which gave, which gave tons of money. It was a CIA front company out of Cornell Medical School. And so a lot of these people that were getting this this money didn't know where it thought it was just coming from medical school, but it was actually coming from the CIA. And this was documented in, in top anthropology magazines like Anthropology Today and all. So here is um, – people probably might have heard of Timothy Leary, the Harvard
2: Yes, you know, yes, yes. Oh. Who, was,
1: who was testing LSD and other drugs on students, on Harvard students. But that was happening in about 45 different colleges around the country as well as about 45 uh, prisons and 40-plus hospitals around the country. And so – Timothy Leary's uh, promoting LSD, you know, well, first inadvertently, you know, uh, letting students, paying students about $150 of today's uh, money for students to try LSD. Then when Harvard kicks them out, uh, the the Mellon Hitchcock family, one of the wealthiest families in the country, Mellon Bank, uh, Golf Oil they own. Uh, They proceed to fund Leary uh, starting an institute, you know, a a group that is has about a dozen headquarters around the country and even in Mexico that promotes LSD and uh, they promote it like crazy. And so that's some of it. And same thing started happening on the West Coast. And the reason uh, you you want to. Yeah, real quick.
2: So. When we're getting into this acid stuff, okay, Timothy Leary, I believe he, he cooked the – he was the guy who's basically the LSD cooker, right? Chemist, he cooked yeah. the chemist. He created it. A lot of people – He's not a
1: chemist, but he's, the, he's a promoter. He's a huge promoter of it.
2: Well, well what, what I learned was that whoever was the, the, the chemist – the the Grateful Dead was their house band. Whoever was that, he had a house right. band, he would play the band. And, you know, Eddie Bravo said this all the time. It's like, dude, how shitty was the Grateful Dead music? Like, everyone's like, oh, it's the greatest music ever. It's like a jam band is playing a giant fucking stadium over and over again. And you, like, you realize... And there's this dark hand at work that creates. So they take this band, this house band that's probably playing for fucking a sandwich and some free drugs. And they make <laughs> this, this giant band. And then they use this band to spread the LSD around the country.
1: Yeah. So that, ha- that was when well, the East coast, you had Leary and Leary ends up, uh, the Mellon Hitchcock family, Billy Mellon Hitchcock gives Leary his 3000 is a uh, mansion is a, uh, Giant mansion on a three thousand acre estate, about an hour north of New York City, to just have constant <laughs> parties, while MK Ultra scientists set up there and just test different psychedelics and all the people that came to these parties. And the reason I was in New York, I argue, is because that was the hub for the largest area for civil rights activists, like the most. There it is, right. The most white so and, and other and you know and black and Latino civil rights activists came from New York that went down for the Freedom Summer rides to support Martha King and the civil rights movement. So oh he starts that p- party in 1963 or four, and it keeps going for several years. And they're just testing these psychedelics and all these uh, great artists that came that came up there. These activists, um, all these musicians like uh, Maynard Ferguson, you know Charles Mingus and people, great writers. Um, you know, were lured up to these parties from new york and and ended up promoting acid inadvertently themselves now, on the West coast, you had where you're talking about the Grateful Dead, you had Ken Kesey as a uh guy in a Stanford graduate school. He's offered a lot of money to try acid. he was a um former wrestler actually who hadn't even really got he never even got stoned before, he barely even got, got drunk in his life and he's offered all his money to try this drug and he's in the uh, so they test this acid on him in, in the Stanford hospital and then they he give him a job at the hospital they give him the keys to the LSD supply as a janitor at this hospital and he proceeds to quote unquote steal loads of LSD to keep starting parties out there, constant parties that lured all these other writers from the area to these constant parties for LSD <laughs> and then that Grateful Dead started playing at his parties now at first he, he had a group come all around him that Convinced him to take this bus, send it down to the other side of the country. He would go in all th- all through the civil rights south with this psychedelic bus, blaring all this music, promoting LSD like crazy. That became known as like the Magic Bus from the Who's song, ah. or the actual Mystery World bus, you know, that the Beatles accident inadvertently promoted. Not and never realized, getting a,
2: arrested, you know, never getting arrested, right? Never,
1: never going arrested. to
2: jail. Ge- you know what? The, you know what? This, this is so interesting. First of all, this reminds me of lot of how they think gun violence in Chicago goes on, right? Like, in Chicago, they're like, where are these guys getting all these guns? And then somehow, miraculously, some van just is, like, abandoned. And there's just – it's just full of guns.
0: And that sounds like Fast and Furious. Obama, yeah, just here, 100%, giving 100% guns.
2: And- full of guns. Yeah, and, yeah go on. Yeah, so,
1: some of the leaders of the Black Panthers in New York said the exact same thing you're saying. You know, they would, it would just allow the gangs to just take them all from the naval yard and use them against each other. Because as long as it's uh, blacks killing blacks, they're happy. You know, um, that's the way they do these things. And so, um, so here he was, you know, promoting acid like crazy. And then he comes back to uh, San Francisco Bay Area, starts these acid tests, which, as you said, was the Grateful Dead playing these things as like the house party. And they've got vats of Kool-Aid that they spiked with LSD. <laughs> some people knew they were spiked with LSD, some people didn't. Some people would be dancing to this music and tripping inadvertently, not realizing that they were you know, being dosed with LSD. So also, mm-hmm. before I mention that, so that bus I told you about, one of the places it goes is to Harlem, right after the uh, Harlem you know, riots. And of course, activists call them race rebellions um, because they were protesting you know, police brutality in Harlem at that time and lack of civil rights. So then these parties are starting in San Francisco Bay Area, getting people tripping all over the place in an area where um, activists were were really fighting, you know, for civil rights and fighting for free speech, such as the Berkeley Free Speech Movement. And so then they take their parties down to Los Angeles to Watts right after the race riots there or race rebellions there. And they get all these activists and all these people that were, were fighting for civil rights down there tripping inadvertently. And so that's what I argue was some of what that was about. And at those parties, I, I quote, a CIA, uh, the top psychiatrist for in MKUltra, a guy named John Gittinger, was quoted in a legal deposition saying that me and two other of my fellow uh, CIA MKUltra scientists were there watching. And we we attended several of these acid tests. And then there was two other, uh, or three other MKUltra you know, uh, people there, agents there that he mentions too in these depositions. So, what were these really? Why were they coming all the way from Washington, D.C. to these supposedly underground parties in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area in Los Angeles? Obviously, it was to, you know, as part of MKLTRA's program, it shows. I mean, that's the the evidence is that's part of that program. And it turns into the Trips Festival, gets larger. So there's thousands of people come to this. That turns into the human, be- human beings. There, there was estimated as 10,000 people there that they got tripping like crazy. Oh, my and then, God. Yeah.
2: Now do you you ever I forgot it's something Midnight Lost or something? Have you heard of that uh, experiment where it was like the CIA would think there were certain it's people within climax, the yeah Midnight Climax where the CIA yeah. thought there were certain people within the agency, the family that were maybe shady or double agents, so they would send these hookers to like kind of like. Be like, hey, entice them to come back. And as they would enter the brothel or wherever they were going, they would hit them with acid, right? And then they would wait till they were tripping balls, and then interrogate them.
0: Oh, because they were supposed to like make people tell the truth. That's yeah, what they were trying to use LSD for. Freak form. you
2: out so much that you'd just be like, okay, oh, whatever, yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah. And it's like that's some
1: crazy. Yeah, it was ass a truth,
0: a truth tru- tru- or yeah. something like that. They tru- were trying. Serum. Yeah, there you go.
1: For sure. So. Yeah, wh- but there were studies that actually showed that it was hurting people's minds. You know, um, I, I, I tripped about a half dozen times in college and my <laughs> grades dropped drastically. Um, I lost abilities I've never regained. It took about a year to get my grades back up. And, um, and that's just from a half dozen, you know, hits in my life. And so they were finding that it was causing some mild damage and some a little bit of loss of emotional control. And uh, so some of these activists... You might, you know, you could see them um, in the movie. Uh, there was a documentary called "The Sixties where some of these activists that did too much acid, they never, you know, some of them never even fully recovered. Never got they, their fastball back. You got these activists to act in ways you never, you never would imagine they acted, and just hurt their best abilities to do their activism.
2: So, acid is could do serious damage.
1: That's what the, that's what it appears. I mean, you know, William S. Burroughs, who was no prude about drugs, he wrote, you know, the book. Naked Lunch, and he was a heroin addict. Um, he said that he thinks LSD makes people less competent. And a lot of those uh, countercultural veterans ended up agreeing with him in a book that was, they were quoted in a book called Acid Dreams, the CIA, CIA LSD, the 60s and beyond. And so lots of countercultural veterans say, yes, I, w- I think I was fooled, I was duped. They were, CIA was spreading the stuff to hurt our minds to, to not have us you know, do the
0: best work we could do. Oh my God, dude. Oh my. And we all thought the opposite.
1: Well, I thought like, Uh I know, I
2: mean, my, my opinion is I I love shrooms and it like, you know, I've done shrooms where I'm like, it really made me okay with where I was in my life. And then you do acid and like people think they're the same thing and they're like, not. They're just two yeah. different trips, you know? Right. You know, like yeah. Shrooms is like a brisk walk through the beach, you know? Acid is like being set on fire and just running for water somewhere. It's like <laughs> they're just two different, like, vibes. But I didn't know it had yeah. that kind of, like, like how you really are doing damage to your brain. I didn't know that. Yeah. That scares me. Yeah, I had
1: the same experiences with shrooms and acid, but I never had any bad trips. I just felt like, whoa, what just happened to my abilities? You know, I, I just saw a serious downgrade in my abilities, and I was like, whoa, it's, I'm never doing this again. This isn't worth it. You so know, the, and I feel bad that so many people are still being duped. And that Human Ecology Fund is being replicated today with groups like the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, the Hefter Institute. And a group called the Beckley Foundation in England—they're all working together to—and they've got so much money they can just fund tons of studies that promote LSD for all kinds of things, promote ecstasy, which is um, clear-cut hurting people's memories in a big way. Which you know is now called Molly ecstasy. But um, what do you
2: think yeah. of uh, this study right now? That's trying to push the fact that uh, soldiers coming back from from the wars that they find like micro dosing is helping them deal with moments. Like, I mean, is shrooms in with this as well? Do you believe?
1: Yeah, it, it is. But I, I haven't seen the evidence that shrooms is causing as much damage as acid at all, nor as, as ecstasy. So I, I, I won't really talk about shrooms. I don't talk about shrooms in my book really, but um, they are pushing these, all these drugs like crazy for things like you just said. But I, I'm a trauma specialist at my job, okay. I got trained in something called EMDR, eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. That just uses a, a, a completely uninvasive technique, no drugs used, but it's a technique that's been proven that is very effective for PTSD, okay? You don't need any drugs whatsoever, much less psychedelic drugs, to uh, cure PTSD, and it works and it works very well and uh i've I've, heard, I've helped a ton of people with ptsd with that technique and another technique and um so yes the, you know when they talk about using psychedelics for that it's it's absurd because there are proven techniques that really help people and uh, even the military will only contract i've been told with groups that are trained in emdr which i've been trained in and so when uh, all these groups that have so much money keep pushing the fact that oh it, psychedelics are the answer You know, they know that they're uh, bypassing the best techniques that don't, you know, don't have the side effects of psychedelics.
2: Interesting. This is so interesting. So as we get into this, this, I mean, I'm starting to really think that I'm a liberal, man. I'm a liberal. Mm -hmm. Like I believe in peace, love, you know, uh, get in love with your fellow man. Everybody come together, you know. I'm a fucking. I'm the son of the serpent, dog. You know. Don't tread on me. That's where I am right now. Okay. Um, but is was this whole hippie movement just a giant CIA psyop to promote the drug culture to get people so whacked out on drugs that they that that they can't form or come together?
1: Well, it, it's. The evidence appears that it was. They were trying to divert the best activists away from from their good work. And they were, sadly enough, manipulating our favorite musicians to do that. Um, There was people all around John Lennon, for example. You know, in 1965, the assistant director of MKUltra, a guy named Robert Lashbrook, went over to London with tons of LSD Tons of money and tons of agents. And this comes from A.E. Hotchner, who was Ernest Hemingway's editor and longtime friend. Hotchner wrote a book called Blown Away, which, and in which he documents, he says that Lashbrook told his agents to put LSD in as many musicians' hands as possible. Several months later, John Lennon and George Harrison are having dinner with their uh, George Harrison's dentist, and he proceeds to dose their coffee with LSD. And John Lennon, when, when he's told about it, is furious, and George Harrison says, What's LSD? I've never heard of it. Okay, So this is the, some of the ways that they got people introduced to acid, top musicians introduced to acid for the first time. Two years later, you had Mick Jagger um, at a party where he said he's, he had never tripped before, he never never done LSD before, but a guy named David Schneiderman was, uh, according to the Daily Mail, an undercover FBI agent who also worked for MI5, British F- FBI, and he convinced Jagger to do LSD for the first time, and he had tons of drugs on. The police two hours, three hours later, after uh, Jagger's tripping, the police come in, bust bust them all, and uh, leave, let Schneiderman go with a briefcase full of drugs. Okay, oh and so they have, they God. then have the stones under the thumb. They're also promoting acid through the stones, and um, you know inadvertently. Meanwhile, Jagger and Lennon were both very anti-war, very anti-Vietnam War. Jagger and uh, Brian Jones had actually gone to anti-war protests in England. So um, this is some of the ways they, you know, uh, use them, manipulate them to inadvertently promote these drugs. And then when they started sobering up, when John Lennon started sobering up, you know, he went into hibernation just to raise his kid um and uh, he was three months away from getting his uh his citizenship and he, he announces he's going to lead the teamsters in a march in 1980 you know uh to march for their rights and he came out with the two albums double fantasy and all and he's done away with and the best evidence is that uh Fent- fenton bressler a longtime uh british lawyer and journalist Wrote a seven-year study, uh, finding out that the CIA actually uh, killed John Lennon. They manipulated through hypnosis and drugs. They got Mark Chapman to, you know, fire the shots on John Lennon. And another um, biographer named, um, I forget his name, now, I think it's uh, Stockman, but a British biographer who is very well known for a lot of music books, came out with this book on Lennon where he found that Jose Sanjanis Perdomo actually was the doorman that night, the Dakota, uh, John Lennon's apartment building, and f- actually he fired some of the fatal shots himself. He helped uh, Chapman in that murder. And so this Jose Sanjanis Perdomo was found to be a CIA hitman oh who was part of the big Oh my
2: invasion. God.
1: Yeah. Oh my God, dude. That's- so basically. Yeah, that fit the pattern that when these musicians start sobering up and threatening to promote sobriety and more activism, they were done away with the, that pattern happened with, uh, Jimi Hendrix also who, um, you know, uh, a memoir of the last few years from a roadie of Jimi Hendrix's. in that memoir. He said that Jimi Hendrix's manager, Mike Jeffries, who admitted he had worked for British CIA, which is MI six, um, Actually admitted that he he had Hendrix killed, and so Hendrix fired that manager Mike Jeffries, and f- within 48 hours Hendrix is dead. You know, and Hendrix has gotten seriously into activism in, in his last year or two of life, according to his fiance's memoir. He had also uh, got away from all drugs in the last year or two of his life, except for smoking a little bit of weed and drinking a little bit, and that was it. And then he's done, in. and so that's the way you know some of the '60s you know, uh, worked with these musicians.
0: I mean, do you, do you think, uh, the CIA was on Woodstock? Do you think they were like, completely yeah, let it happen? Cause well, I yeah. mean, that was 400,000 people what? that were there in New York.
1: Yeah. Well, it was crawling with agents. There was a guy named George Demerley, for example, who came out in court as a, you know, undercover FBI agent who had a booth promoting this weird group called, the uh, they call themselves the crazies. They were an offshoot of the Yippies, which was Abby Hoffman's group. So, they were really part of, of the Yippies of Abby Hoffman's group manipulating Abby Hoffman. Demerley was a bodyguard for uh, Abby Hoffman. And uh, another biker undercover agent was a bodyguard for Jerry Rubin, the other leader of the Yippies. And they were manip- manipulating them up a storm to promote LSD. But at the same time, they, and they were promoting LSD, but at the same time, they were also sabotaging some work of some activists. And so that's the way it also worked. Um, George Demerley then took. Uh, the leader of the Columbia Students for Democratic Society um, and uh, dosed basically the student, the Columbia Students for Democratic Society were the largest and like most influential of the, uh, of the anti-war group that SDS, they called themselves. That group was a hundred thousand strong in 1969. Columbia happened to lead the most building take the first building takeovers and the most building takeovers in 1968, which spawned building takeovers all over the country to protest the war And so um, they specifically said, Columbia said, we are anti-LSD because we think it's anti-revolutionary. You know, revolutionary was kind of the words they used at that time. And so here comes uh, George Demley with his crazies, part of the Yippies and all that stuff. And he has a, you know, they have a party. They come to the, I'm sorry, the uh, SDS, Columbia SDS's party and dose the punch with tons of LSD. They basically get the uh, Columbia SDS tripping for the first time and, Get them thinking that well maybe acid's not that bad, and uh, and then to Columbia changes his mind and says well maybe acid's not that bad maybe everyone should trip after all and then uh, head of Columbia SDS Mark Rudd proceeds to act extremely irrationally does all kinds of crazy crap and discredits himself and that that was another pattern of the way things worked they would they would dose people or mess you know uh, mess with them these activists and then the activists would proceed to, to not do their best work you know they, they'd be thinking poorly they uh rudd was accused of raping someone he he bullied food from people on planes um bernie dorn and him at the uh at a later um rally or conference for the weathermen they they, they were some of the founders of the weathermen or the weather underground they uh boasted about not reading books uh, in a year um bernie dorn um applauded like the, the Manson family of all things, and call it the Year of the Fork, for one of the Manson people that stuck a fork in Sharon Tate's pregnant belly, oh. so she was, she was kind of messed up in her head. She was a great uh-huh. SDS leader, great activist leader before all that acid, and she was actually graduated from the uh, University of Chicago Law School, this woman, great, brilliant woman, great activist, and here she is lauding you know, the Manson family, it was really sad. Now I think she sobered up and got back into good activism after that but for a while she was really messed up and it's just a shame. And so I think that was some some of the examples of the way they use these drugs against these activists.
2: Well we have seen uh I mean now we see, we've seen it through pop culture the promotion of uh of sex r- reckless sex uh you know the whole theory now I'm victim of it that porn hub was the CIA, um, a CIA uh, vessel to get you to go into weirder and weirder shit, you know? Uh, you know, it's like you're watching normal porn and I say, you know, there's trans porn right there. Now you're looking at some weird, you're like, wow, that chick's got a fat dick. And you're like, oh, wow, that seems like normal stuff right now. But when we get into like... Uh, you know, Jimi Hendrix. I mean, the Doors. How many of these kids were were military brats? When we look at Jimi Hendrix's dad, the 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 Laurel Canyon studio, and how Jimmy uh, Jimmy Dor- uh, uh, Jim Morrison's father was behind the Gulf of Tonkin and all that right. stuff, and how like you know what we're, you know, everyone's going nuts right now with this USC Harvard scandal of rich people, you know. But I go, hey man, take a look at our our uh our entertainment our news it's all trust fund kids and these kids have grown up in like in these in this family that's profited from war and banking and 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 um pharmaceuticals but but they've been positioned to be the face of the the liberal movement and they don't really they aren't really liberal we see they're pro, they're pro war, they're anti gun, they're you know they're like all this, they're anti white men, It's like all this weird shit that really isn't like the love, peace, and happiness shit. Ah, uh, your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. yeah so I I show the evidence that uh, the Laurel Canyon scene, which Dave McGowan wrote wrote about in his book Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, and exposed um, it's similar to to what I exposed about the San Francisco scene. Um, but he found that loads of, uh, military families and, uh, the wealthiest families, kids all of a sudden become instant music stars. Now, as you said, yeah, the, uh, the, the head of the, uh, the warship that was started the Gulf of Tonkin incident that started the Vietnam war was an Admiral Morrison. And that was Jim Morrison's father. And so show a picture of, of Jim Morrison with his father on the warship. And uh, so Jim Morrison ends up get becoming an instant rock star, you know. And he's in it comes out of this Laurel Canyon uh, scene, a small neighborhood in Los Angeles that uh, had tons, like dozens of different rock stars, all all in this one area. And so um, there was also in this in this Laurel Canyon area was uh, an Air Force studio called Lookout Mountain Studios. It was actually the top, the biggest movie studio in the country. And it produced 19,000 classified films. So um, tons of uh, agents were in this neighborhood. And they were manipulating things in this neighborhood, I argue. And that's how they got John Lennon and George Harrison to trip again, is you got all these musicians holding these parties. John Lennon comes to a party held by David Crosby, who came from the Van Cortlandt family. That For people in New York, you know the like, Cortlandt Expressway is one of the biggest expressways in, in New York and um it's because it was one of the wealthiest families in the new york area it was the Cortland. Right? oh Cortlands. my god and, and that's where crosby came from and so he's just an example so crosby holds a party and um and so has uh john lennon george harrison ringo starr there and gets them tripping gets lennon uh tripping for the second time harrison tripping for the second time and ringo tripping for the first time and that's how People like that that manipulated the Beatles to try try acid again, and then to inadvertently promote acid with their Magical Mystery Tour. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's what was happening over there. But um, at the same time, you're having you know uh, Black Panthers rising up. Jimi Hendrix uh, ends up starting to support the Black Panthers in 1969. He dedicates his last albums album to the Black Panthers. And talks about them in interviews. And so the Panthers were also infiltrated. And they were infiltrated by loads of, of undercover agents. And they surrounded Huey Newton when he came out of jail. Um, and gave him tons of, you know, had all kinds of women around him using cocaine. And got him started on cocaine. And, and really diverted his his best work with that. Uh, and messed with his mind. And they did the same t- thing to Tupac's. A mother, Fannie Shakur, who was a one time leader of the Harlem Black Panthers. They uh, inserted, I uh, showed the evidence of how they inserted a, uh, a crack dealer into her life, the cocaine dealer at the time, and got her into cocaine and messed up her mind and got her addicted to cocaine, um, you know, and so hurt her best activism, you know, in the uh, 1970s. And this is some of the way that worked. Now, they also drugged uh, Fred Hampton's drink and had him unconscious when they came in and, and when the police came in and shot him in his bed. And so they used drugs in a lot of different ways against the Black Panthers. But, um, you know, wow. so this, come, uh, to, wow. yeah, this, this continues to, to, to happen. They, they pretended now that the U.S. Senate Church Committee analyzed uh, Pro- Project MKUltra in the early to mid-70s and, and came out with reports that I quote in my movie, I show... A pull quote showing how they, you know, the, the, their U.S. Senate Church Committee found that the CIA was doing all this stuff with LSD and other drugs. But you know, not many people have heard about the Senate Church Committee's report, sadly enough. Now um, they pretended like they closed down MKUltra. They actually shredded all the documents they could possibly find, but they didn't. They didn't realize that about thirty thousand documents were still in the uh, financial department that they didn't shred. There were duplicates that went to the financial department, so that's where a lot of this stuff was found out. Now, you come into the 80s, and they lost the Vietnam War, so the, they lost their access to the uh, Golden Triangle poppy fields. But then- Hold on, uh, do you think CIA... that that's
2: what the Vietnam War was actually about? Do you think- Yes. So a yeah, lot of people- John
1: Stockwell, CIA agent, said that the, his fellow agents were, you know, flying uh, heroin from the Vietnam into the United States. Judy Woodruff of uh, Frontline, you know- um, I have a uh, clip from a frontline documentary saying, you know, it, it was in a fact that, you know, we have the documents, CIA documents admitting that they were trafficking, you know, basically just shipping uh, heroin from Vietnam into the United States regularly. Okay. So, in, the, in that documentary, has loads of people he even talked about, you know, I flew the planes. Another guy said, yeah, I saw them all load the the heroin aboard the planes and the you know, bags of, of opium aboard the planes. So, yeah, it's, it's just clear cut that way. Wow, so Starwell, wow. Stockwell says that in the late 80s, he says he found out that the CIA planes then were were focusing on the Golden Crescent for poppy fields around Afghanistan. And CIA operatives around Afghanistan were now uh, turning, you know, creating, you know, uh, growing, of course, the poppies, turning into opium and then heroin, and shipping it back into the United States. And so what's happening in the late 80s, early 90s? They have tons of heroin coming to the United States. So what do, they, what do they need to do? They need to try to make demand uh, match the supply. And how do they do that? They go by the, the old way they did it, which is to manipulate musicians to promote it. And so they do psychological profiles of musicians, in the United States, states, they find that Kurt Cobain had a massive stomach problem, and he was a you know brilliant artist, of course. And uh, he had tried already tried heroin about a half dozen times over four years, according to his diaries, but he wasn't doing it regularly to solve this, this horrible stomach pain he had. Income to in, so Nevermind, his album Nevermind starts rising up the charts meteorically, and all of a sudden, Courtney Love introduces herself to Kurt Cobain at a party that she attended with And Billy she's Gordon. CIA,
2: man. Now, there's this yes. whole thing that she was unfortunately, uh, allegedly, an uh, a an, uh, teenage prostitute used by yes. these velites uh, to go different places. And she'd be set in to get information. The word she becomes like, she starts talking about how she's been banging all these generals and she, she realized why war is important. And all, dude, I'm going to do a whole episode on that shit. That's insane to me, man.
1: Yeah, that is an unbelievable story I can't even, you know, in this episode There's not even time to get into all the details of that oh, Do you but, know uh, details it, on that, though? like you said
2: John, do you know a lot What's, of details on that?
1: Oh, yeah Okay, yeah. we're going to have now, you back on my that my book one. has a whole chapter just on Courtney Love Oh, and her. Yeah. oh. I, and I on, love how they got her the name, love. chapter before it's on Cobain But the next chapter is just on Courtney Love Because it's so incredible The details on her are real, so incredible so I couldn't go into it all. Yeah, my don't go because start... we're
2: gonna have you back, dude. I want to do a whole episode Thanks. on that.
1: Yeah, it, it is uh, bizarre and amazing. I, you know, I'll go into, but I'll go into that next time more. But I'll just say that um, all all the people around Seattle that were friends with Kurt Cobain said that she entered his life and got him using co- uh, heroin for the first time daily. Um, you know, daily for the first time when she entered his life. And she got immediately, had, you know, got pregnant with his kid. And so he did the right thing and married her, but with a prenuptial agreement because he was a little, you know, leery of her situation. And uh, and then within a year or two, um, he actually solved his stomach problem. And he says, so I have a clip of him talking about it, you know, to Rolling Stone saying, Yes, I finally found the medicine to solve my stomach problem. And I also show, you know, the evidence that now he, there was an all there was a, um, blood test done on him when he went to a coma in Rome okay and so that blood test showed that he had no drugs in his system whatsoever and so a heroin addict has to have heroin in his body you know within a few days or else he goes into massive painful withdrawal so obviously he wasn't a heroin addict at that time he didn't, it wasn't using any drugs he wasn't even smoking weed at that time and this was a month before his death alright and so that that um, blood you know that blood work showed that, that. And so, um, and the reason he went into that coma in Rome was because he had, he had visited Courtney love to see his daughter, Francis, and she had a uh, prescription for real Cause she had been in England where it's legal for sleep medication. Real roofies. She roofied his, uh, you know, his drink obviously, and, and put him into a coma, you know? And, uh, so, you know, it's obvious that she was part of it all. Now I have, in my film, Hank Harrison saying in a, in a radio interview that um, he had met a guy in um, when he was in Dublin, when he was doing research for a book in Dublin. Hank Harrison is Courtney Love's biological father. And so he said he had actually lost custody of her when she was about five years old due to uh, Courtney Love's extremely wealthy grandparents like buying out his lawyer. So when Courtney Love's 13 years old and she's uh, in a juvenile delinquent facility, she writes him a letter to get him out, so he can get her out of there. And he realized, and in that letter, she he said that my you know doctors, my therapists and doctors from the age of about three years old were all having sex with me and giving me psychohypnotic drugs. And she lists the drugs, and they were major you know MK Ultra drugs that were used for to try to uh, achieve you know better results with hypnosis when um, subjects. And so, either way, so she ends up, um, he, he ends up realizing that he had gotten her out of, when he got her out of that facility, that she was already a heroin addict and prostitute. And she was leaving syringes all over his house. And so um, he didn't know what to do with her. But um, he ends up, uh, she ends up leaving him at about 15 or 16. But he found out she, you know, she was prostituting. And she visits him in Dublin when he's doing research on the book there. He he says she's hooking on the streets there. And some guy, a guy named Stephen O'Leary, had had befriended um, Hank Harrison in uh, Dublin. And O'Leary, on his deathbed in 2005, uh, in a letter to Hank Harrison says, I was actually working for the CIA at that time. And um, I verified this uh, Stephen O'Leary's obituary, found his obituary and found out I verified Hank Harrison's facts about him. He died the place in the day in the year that Hank Harrison had said. He also had a brother who Hank Harrison described named Kevin O'Leary, and um, so I don't know if it's the same Kevin O'Leary that's uh, you know Courtney Love's actually been seen hanging out with that's in Shark Tank, but it's awfully suspicious, you know.
2: <laughs> oh so, my God!
1: Yeah, but uh, I just don't know if that's the same Kevin O'Leary. It's you know Leary is a popular name, but it is suspicious that because all these tabloids said what is Courtney Love and. Kevin O'Leary doing hanging out so much what, what yeah it's a weird match but anyway I'll just say that um Courtney Love ends up taking a thousand hits of acid when she's 17 years old from Dublin with Stephen O'Leary to a top music scene in London and spreads it out like candy just like I told you Robert Lashbrook the MK Ultra assistant director did in 1965 she duplicates that in London and then she goes to Portland and Los Angeles and Seattle, and does the same thing. She spreads drugs like candy all over the place, and to the top musicians, top punk musicians. And she turns out to be like extremely right wing and pro war because she when she was prostituting to generals, as you said in Alaska, she, she, she said they told told her that that uh, the wars are all good for us, you know, and she believed it.
2: Oh so my she is god!
1: Something. Yeah.
2: Oh my god! This is insane. So,
1: so, yeah, so the movie Soaked in Bleach documents shows the incredible amount of evidence that love had something to do with Cobain's death. And you have – in Soaked in Bleach, which I um, have excerpts from for my film, you got the uh, head of the American Academy of Forensic Science, uh, Cyril Weck, saying that um, he's never seen a case you know, in all his career – he's 80 years old – of someone um, – Shooting up a huge amount of heroin and then blowing their head off, head off, it says it doesn't make sense. And then I found a, a news reel of uh, them interviewing Wecht, um, where he says he thinks that Cobain's uh, suicide was was faked. It was really a murder made to look like a suicide. And so, yeah, the, the evidence is huge that Cobain was murdered. The question is how did you know these people get away with it you know why didn't the fbi come and investigate and the evidence with courtney love's aid of it all and uh the way it all worked with the incredible cover-up uh points to that's part of the same pattern that happened with john lennon and Jimi hendrix uh with you know when they start sobering up and turn turned more to activism they are done away with and yeah
2: oh my god oh my god it's like incredible It all just kind of comes together in this insane story of just like this girl who got manipulated, I mean, sadly, I mean, three years old, that just is, but these are the monsters, dude. These is what the monsters do. And they manipulate these people and they just, and they use her to spread fucking drugs. And I just think about that, man. and. And then she, had, oh my God. You know, that, you know, it's very interesting that you brought this up because like the heroine and he's doing heroin. So now you kind of like, oh, um, Nirvana is a big band. And I've always said this, man. Like, do you hear the thing going on right now about, you know, Captain Marvel? Is that the numbers are completely cooked. That there's pictures of people in theaters on opening day completely empty. Nobody there. And now they're saying it's had $450 million, uh, million worldwide. And you're like, but nobody was at these shows. And it's like, I've always said this like, you know, the Billboard Top 20, we don't know those numbers. Who wins the Oscars? We don't know those numbers. But all of a sudden, you know, heavy metal just dies. And now grunge metal just comes out of nowhere. And it's like, well, grunge metal's the best. And then, well, it's the top of the Billboards. And you're like, you don't know. Why are they? How many actual numbers? the The ratings on television. There's no actual way for us to see what the actual numbers are, and it's this yeah,
1: manipulation. But they totally, they totally try to manipulate what we like, of course. But with like the case of rap, political rap is completely suppressed, and the uh, the drug promoting rap is completely you know glamorized and and you know risen up in a huge way. And and Chuck D from Public Enemy, you know, has said this. Loads of uh insiders have talked about this, but with tupac shakur um he was in, he was the most political when he started you know um coming out with his rap, and uh he had just come from being the head of uh the new African panthers, so he was already a national black panther leader by being head of the New African Panthers which was active in eight to ten cities around the country, and before he became a rapper. So there was a there was a program called the counterintelligence program out of the FBI oh that targeted had killed Fred Hampton that targeted uh, you know Fannie targeted Huey Newton of course and they coupled with CIA's MK Ultra and CIA's uh, project you know MK Chaos they called um, MH Chaos actually and that was, so that they coupled with the CIA in attacking the Black Panthers. And best evidence shows that they continued that against the, the, uh, the kids, the sons and daughters of the Black Panthers, such as Fred Hampton Jr., who I have in my film, but particularly Tupac Shakur. You know, they had their eye on him when he was head of the, the New African Panthers, and they started to add wealth and fame to that influence that, you know, activists, you know, that, to influence the masses. And they really, you know, there's evidence that they actually tried to kill him about a half dozen times. Oh and the final my god. Time was
2: successful. You know, and, and it's just uh, like so, what does he promote gang banging that whole gang banging life? I mean, it was political, but this whole uh, thing about like uh you know, you, you see the death of that really great 80s rap uh, l- l- late 80s early 90s and then you see like uh, NWA, NWA coming in and like and now It's true.
1: but he he was actually trying to he was he had, taking on a gangsta facade in order to appeal to gangs and politicize them. And that was part of a political plan with his Black Panther extended family to get the Bloods and the Crips to call peace truces in L.A. and turn on to activism. And, and he was actually being he was successful with that plan. And the Panthers helped it spread throughout California and then spread nationally. Now, the biggest issue about that plan was it also led a lot of these gangs to get involved in legal activities and drop the drug dealing. And that took huge amounts of money out of the CIA's pockets because they were the top drug traffickers in the world in the Still country.
2: Are. Still and are. And
1: out of the banks that were laundering all that drug money. Oh. So that's why they had to do in Tupac, sadly enough, because that was really affecting them in billions of dollars worth of money that they were – you know, both trafficking and laundering.
2: I find and it very so, um, I find it very interesting how Ice Cube, uh, Snoop Dogg, who Tupac hated, uh, and Ice T are all these guys who promote a certain lifestyle at a certain time, Doctor Dre in there as well, are all now almost billionaires. You know, I mean like you're looking well, like uh they say Ice Cube is about to um by all the Fox Sports West,
0: all the Fox Sports local affiliates, he's about to buy that. They're all loaded. I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, I don't think I don't think Tupac hated Snoop, but I, you know, they might have little differences here and there. But I think overall, you know, he actually um, Snoop Snoop has gotten more political, though he can't give up his weed habit. He's just addicted to weed, and it's too bad. But Tupac was sobering up at the end of his life. Was engaged to Kadata Jones, Quincy Jones's daughter. Um, was seen at uh, shows uh, as the only rapper who wasn't touching weed or touching alcohol and just dancing all night. So he was really turning his life around to 25 years old when he died. And so um, I think you know I think Ice Cube was a little a bit political, but I don't know I don't know his story as much. But Snoop is tr- has tried to get more political, but he can't get away from the weed. He's tried to support Mamia Jamal and other you know former Black Panther turned journalist who's been in prison for life, won a frame up. And so um, Tupac uh, obviously was the biggest of them all. And just their association with Tupac is probably, you know, he's had Ice cube on his albums. Snoop Dogg was, you know, close with him and, was, you know, of course, did record it with him. And by association, of course, Snoop is, you know, continue to be the top rapper. But I think it really was Tupac that uh, elevated, you know, him to the highest heights with uh, his work, um, not that Snoop's not really creative and good himself, but um, you know, obviously Tupac was the brightest of them all. He was a, he was a really an intellectual prodigy. He rewrote Shakespeare in high school and uh, produced and directed his own plays with Shakespeare plays in modern language. He was really incredible that way. Yeah,
2: they always take out the good ones. If we look at modern to, uh, television, modern pop culture. Uh, You know, I remember in the 80s, I remember in the 90s, Jennifer Aniston said something I felt really in, I, I go, oh, that's some suspicious shit right there. And she goes, I know as a woman, I don't need a man to help me raise kids. I can raise kids on my own and I go, that's really interesting coming from a chick who doesn't have children who is super fucking rich like, and then you take a look at these Kardashians, right? And these Kardashians and the lifestyles they live where they date these guys who are the most unavailable you know, completely unstable and they have children and they've had this show on for 10 years and it's like, date these horrible guys who are gonna cheat on you, have children with them, and they're gonna leave you and it's like Is that also part of the PSYOP we've been talking about? How it's like this promotion of this very loose moral type of life?
1: I don't know. I don't know about that. I can't speak to that. (laughs) But I was going to say your co-host, it looked like he was going to ask something. I didn't know what he was going to ask. Yeah,
0: I was going to ask you, where does Eminem fit into this? Come on, he's got to be some somewhere in, into the equation. I,
2: I mean, he pushes drugs hardcore.
0: No, but after he yeah. started doing that Mosh song, he was very political for a while, and then he all of a sudden disappeared. He was getting seizures. He was super drugged up, and it came out of nowhere because he, I mean, obviously he did drugs, but then it just after he got very political that George Bush song, that Mosh song that came out. After that, he yeah. was like super drugged up. It's like, what the fuck happened, to Eminem?
1: Right. So I have a chapter in my book that talks about Wu Tang and Eminem. Now for my film, uh, Eminem had to get cut because it was just too long. But Eminem started out, um, you know, he's talented of course, but he started out uh, pushing ecstasy, you know, and he was he was doing a lot, doing some ecstasy, he was pushing it, you know, and just talking about it in interviews. Um, but then he started getting more political. Like you said, with the Mosh song and other uh, songs, you know, anti-Bush songs, mm-hmm. and he got visited by the Secret Service. Oh they came to his my door, God. and then uh, his his right hand man, DJ Proof, um, actually had a song called uh, "Who Killed Kurt Cobain" or something about Kurt Cobain's murder. And Proof was very political, and Proof gets uh, gets murdered, you know, yep. DJ Proof, and uh, Eminem ends up sobering up. And uh, getting, I, I argue that he's probably got scared uh, about you know getting his political when people were getting killed around him, and so things change with him. But uh, when, you know it's um, it's interesting his the evolution of Eminem that way. Yeah.
0: Do you think he was the last um, artist to get hit, or do you think they're still going after some artists?
1: I think oh, it's, uh, kind of, uh, There's no doubt It's continuing You know I just didn't have I didn't have time To keep following them all yeah. After oh, yes. I, uh, I was done the research For my book And was trying to publish it In 2013 You know I was trying to get it published You know You didn't have time To research anymore oh, But I'm yeah. sure I see evidence of it Going on still Yes I'm sure it's still continuing
2: I mean I, dude Look how many The uh, like The uh Disney club kids go up and they end up becoming like these huge stars. And like, I think Miley Cyrus is a five tool so, player. Like she is so fucking talented, but like you watch her super young her like loose ethics. I'm going to fuck everybody. She's letting like people <laughs> in the crowd finger blaster during the, during the fucking yeah. shows. And it's, you're like crazy, right?
1: Well, if you wanted to do a special in Courtney love, I can fit that Miley Cyrus kind of stuff into it a little bit. You know, the Disney, the Disney folks, um, appear to be have the same conditioning as Courtney Love growing up, because I've counseled some, some Disney folks, some Disney women who were sexually abused by some of their coaches for the Disney like national dance troops and stuff. Oh. And I'll tell you, more, I can tell you more about that and how that relates to MKUltra oh. Um, in you know in another episode, it's just very detailed. It's long and and it's a lot to it. It's you know it's very um intricate.
0: We I'll live. Say. and he's right now that i think about it all the music festivals and raves i've gone to guess what drugs are inside yeah and it doesn't seem like they're stopping anybody there's a sign that says don't bring them in here but other than that it seems like as long as you don't show it to them you can bring it in it's very interesting when some people get arrested some people don't like there's this whole special
2: going this uh thing about uh this murder on hbo and how uh it's uh, the case against assad or whatever that is called and how, like the guy who implicated him, like he would do some crazy shit and never get arrested, and they're like, why wouldn't this guy get arrested unless he did something for them later on, or he's working for the police or the CIA or whatever we see this stuff? Why these people never go to jail? Why is like tech Takashi Tech nine disappeared right now, but like he was doing all this crazy shit, pushing all this getting back on syrup, popping
0: pharmaceuticals. Doing all that shit. Oh, that's what it's at. That syrup stuff. Do you know how much the bottles cost? How much? A hundred bucks. They're a hundred dollars because it's there's, there's just what people want. Wow. Wow. Well, crazy.
2: Uh, can you tell everybody, my friend John, where they can find you at? And then we'll do some emailings later and we'll set up a sec- another episode with you in the very, very near future.
1: Great. Thanks. Yeah, you can uh, at DrugsIsWeapons.com, you can find out more about My book, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, or my first book, The FBI War on Tupac Shakur and Black Leaders, um, as well as my films based on both books. And my film, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, is now available, um, you know, as I said, on Amazon Prime. Um, And so, yeah, some of the places you can find out more.
2: Well, dude, I appreciate you, John. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, man, it was I knew it was going to be a great episode and you did not. Um, disappoint, man. uh, People are going to love this episode. And I, you know what, dude? I'm going to be telling you, man. Like, I I, I go to programs. I do 12 steps. And, like, I have my issues where sometimes I relapse. But I'm going to be honest with you, man. After hearing this, I'm like, I don't want to fucking feed into the fucking deep state's fucking money-making machine. So yeah. that, to me, is like you always need a reason to get sober. That's it, dude. Don't make the lizard people any richer. You know, get cleansed and uh, do your thing. And uh, John Potash, I appreciate you. And uh, I look forward. We're going to set it up, and we're going to do an episode again very soon. I appreciate you.
1: Thanks a lot, Sam. Thanks so much for having me on.
2: You crushed it. Thank you, my friend. All right, guys, we love you very much. Thank you for listening to the episode. We got another great one coming out this week. We're going to be talking Agent Orange with RA, the Rugged Man, and we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody.